We have a phenomenal group of teenagers at this church. We do, and not just our graduates, but in our youth ministry as well. They are amazing, amazing students. And this morning, before we dive into the word, what I'd like to do is I have a few of our graduating seniors here. We have Walker Hutter and Allie Becker and Elise Moya. And in two seconds, they're going to share a little bit with you about their experience at REACH and their experience within our church. And I just thought it would be good with just such a, again, a big class to have an opportunity for the students to speak for themselves and just say with this church and what this youth ministry has meant to them over the past seven years. But like I said, they have been here since sixth grade. So we're going to have some fun with them because we can. And uh, I got some pictures I want to share with you this morning just to give you a little bit of a a little bit of a, of, a, of a hint is how much they've actually grown up, okay? Don't hate me, hate your parents, because they're the ones that agreed to this. So, yep, that's my man right there, Landon Olsen, and I don't know what Gracie Williams is laughing at because, um, well, let's see, did it work? There we go. Gracie Williams, it's, a, it's so cute. They're so cute. But just to give you even more of a sense of, of how much they've actually grown, bam. <laughs> My man Walker Hutter right there. All right. Now, I, I can see the other two on this screen, on this stage right here. They're starting to get a little nervous, and they should. But just to make sure, just to make sure that, that we can move this along, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, of a group shot here. So guys, skip forward in the back there a little bit. Go forward a couple. That's kind of them all together in their first year. It's, it's many of them there on stage. Um, we'll go forward a little bit more. Here, here's, a, here's another shot. This one's a little bit pixelated, um, but it's, it's one of the ones, as you see, that they've been growing up through the years, and it's just amazing to see. Um, here's one that's a little bit of them, a little bit older. It's just a few years ago, but it's, again, it's this class uh, in, in a moment. I think that was one of our Christmas parties. They were attempting to make a gingerbread house, and it failed miserably. So they don't work together very well, but they get along. But we can, uh, we can trace it back even farther than that. Let's, let's see if we can find a good one here. There's one that, that takes it back a ways. It's Allie and Millicent and Abby McCartney. It's a great one. I like that one. Here's one. Uh, here, yeah, sorry, Allie. I love you. There's Allie Becker. <laughs> Sixth grade. Isn't that awesome? Uh, here, here's one of us just having fun at Reach, just to let you know what we do. This is our jousting ring. It's PVC pipe suspended. It bounces, and they joust. That's one of our favorite all-nighter games that we've ever played. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but again, let's, let's move it back a little bit more to some of the, the sixth grade pitches, just, just for kicks and giggles. There's one right there. It's Jake Ferrugio. Oh, man, Jake Ferrugio. That's a good one. All right, we'll move on a little bit more. Here, here's one of them that's on stage right now, at least Moya. It's awesome. Now. The next picture I want to show is one of my favorite pictures at Reach, okay? And uh, it's not what you think. Don't worry. It's not what you think. All right? But this is one of my favorite pictures at Reach, and this kind of tells a lot about who we are. That's Elise and her mom, Trish, leading a Bible study for our youth group, mother and daughter in ministry together. It's one of the most amazing pictures I think we've ever taken. But just because I told her I would do it, here's Elise Moya. 
I took that picture in their house six years ago, and I told her when she graduated I was going to use it on stage because it's, it is the most adorable baby picture I have ever seen in my life. Most, I don't know what you're laughing at, Jake Frugio, because I got one of you too. This is an awesome picture, but here's another one of my, the, the last picture I'm going to show, it's the last picture on the slide, guys. Um, the last picture I'm going to show here is one of the first pictures we've ever taken in our youth group, and it's when they were in sixth grade, and we were meeting in the K-Tech building right next to City Church Central, because when this class came in, we didn't have any place to put them. So we had to rent out the K-Tech building in order to have youth ministry, and this was one of the first youth group pictures we've ever taken. And that's Delaney Tharp right there with Kaylee Hutter. Kaylee is a junior this year, but Delaney was about to get up and sing for us. She's been singing for us for seven years now. This is an amazing, amazing youth ministry. So I got to have my fun. Now you guys get to have yours. But I want you guys to share just a few minutes of what's on your heart for Reach and for this church. And just tell us about your experience. So, uh, is it on? Look it up. It's on. Hello. There you go. Wow. Okay. So, like Scott said earlier, uh, my first day at Reach was Scott's first day at Reach in sixth grade. Uh, and Reach, we do a lot of things at Reach. We have a lot of fun. We play games and stuff. But that's like not what I think about when I think of Reach. Like, of course, I remember winning the bobbing for apples and whipped, and whipped cream, like, back in sixth grade. Like, yes, I did win that. Yes, I'm proud of it. But when I think about Reach, I'm thinking about, like, all, like, the retreats that we took to, like, Camp Watermarks or the mission trip we took to Tennessee and to Nicaragua and about how close that our youth group got in those trips and how we all got to know each other, like, in a different country, and it's just, it's just really cool how we all got together, and we served God, and just seeing these kids' lives change, and it was, it was just a beautiful thing, and that's what I think of a lot when I think of Reach. I'm Allie Becker. Um, my parents both are working here. Um, some of you know me more than others, but I've been here my entire life. Um, I was in the nursery, and now I'm in youth group. Um, I guess with REACH, middle school and high school are quite a special time. Um, it's quite the experience. And being a part of a community that's as amazing and loving and um, really just a bunch of mentors for me to look up to has been a great way to stay true to myself as I've gone through those hard times in, um, when I was younger. Um, I guess with REACH, it's just a great um, community of leaders and other students. Um, and it's really become some of my greatest friends, and it's just been an amazing experience.
Good morning. This is my first time speaking in front of such a large crowd, large crowd so bear with me. <laughs> um, but uh, when Scott asked us to talk about our experiences with REACH, I just, I didn't really know where to begin because, you know, seven years of amazing memories. Um, it's really hard to pick which one to talk about. And so I guess I just thought, well, might as well start with the beginning. Um, coming in in sixth grade, you know, as Ali said, it's a difficult time. <laughs> Middle school is rough for everybody. And REACH really very quickly became um, a rock in my life. Um, just such an amazing place to come to and spend time with peers and in Christ-centered fellowship. And, um, you know, as she said, amazing people to look up to. And really from then on, REACH became a place for me to focus on my faith and they really gave me the tools to challenge myself and um, really dig deeper into what my faith means to me and what my relationship with Christ really means. And I don't think I could have had that experience anywhere else. Um, as Walker said, we've had amazing opportunities to go on all kinds of missions trips to other countries and you know, to other states. And those have been incredible, life-changing trips. But also some of the biggest moments for me personally have been just in small groups and in Bible study where we spend time in meaningful worship and um, digging deep into the Bible. And I just, I'm so grateful to um, our REACH family and all of the love that they have poured into this youth group. Um, it's been a really impactful seven years, <laughs> and a really important piece of my life. So thank you guys for that. Amen. Can you give that That's one too. Thank you guys so much. I've been in youth ministry now for 14 years, and seven of them have been at this church, and I can tell you some fantastic stories of tubing the James and midnight sessions at Jump and our 100th game of Gargoyle, or, um, or on the mission trip that Elise just alluded to, we, uh, our, we, uh, we had some downtime, and we brought like 30 students on that trip, and uh, it was in the middle of Nashville, Tennessee, and there was a high school right across the street from the church that we were at that kind of left their doors open to the stadium, so we went out and played a midnight game of soccer on their stadium. And it was awesome because I got to see early just how seriously Charlottesville takes its soccer. <laughs> because I got out there and quickly was I schooled and winded. But when other youth groups tried to come out and play with us, they lasted about 30 seconds. And then they had to turn around and come back in because they were getting housed. And it was absolutely amazing. That was also the same night we, we broke a plant in the church with a soccer ball. And instead of fixing it, we tried to glue it back together, <laughs> and we put it behind a garbage can, <laughs> just let it sit. It was amazing. <laughs> I didn't even think of it. It was them. Like, Let's just put it back together, and they won't even know. It was awesome. I have laughed so hard in this youth group. Um, we've doubled over in laughter, especially with shovels, and um, that was for Elise Moya, and um, the times where you, you can't breathe. And I have personally eaten more slices of pizza than a human being should be allowed. 
I am pretty sure that our youth group is the reason Papa John can host a bowl game at the end of every year. <laughs> Fairly certain of it. But there's also times where, you know, I mean, I, look, I love these students. I've been praying for them and fasting for them and talking with them since they were in seventh grade. You know, they have my heart. But at the same time, you'll, I mean, you parents know, there's times you just, you just want to just, you know, you just, I love you, but, you know, like the time when you're on a mission trip in Nicaragua and one of your students decides that in the middle of a giant volcanic lake that's about two miles wide and 800 feet deep, the deepest point in Central America, and he decides to rent a canoe and paddle out to the middle without telling anyone and then lay down in said canoe and take a nap to where the youth pastor couldn't see him anymore and thought he had flipped out. It was at that moment I was going to become a missionary to Central America because I could never come home again <laughs> because that student was lost. David Gilmore is my man. <laughs> but I can tell you stories to make you laugh all day long. But as Walker said, it's more than that. I can tell you stories of how the Holy Spirit has moved through the lives of our teenagers. Our youth group is focused on one simple thought. We exist to build lifelong followers of Christ so that when they graduate high school and they take the next step, they do so with a relationship with Jesus that is deep, that is rooted in Scripture, that is Spirit-led, and that reaches out to others around them. Our youth ministry is one where we are seeing students give their lives to Christ, become disciples, and make disciples. Our youth ministry is here because we want the kingdom to expand in Charlottesville, and we want to bring Christ to the students that need to hear his message. You're sitting in a school right now where we have students every day who are praying for their peers and praying for their teachers. We have seen students that sit in this auditorium come to Christ because of the students that go to this school. That's why we're here. I have seen students pray prayers that would stun most adults. I have seen them take the most intimate pieces of scripture and apply them to their lives to where very, it shapes the very character to, the core, to their core. We have seen students escape addiction, abusive relationships. We have seen students lead their parents to Christ. Do we have fun at youth? Absolutely. But it goes much deeper than that. And this morning, what I want us to do is take a look at a special moment in Scripture that reflects the type of relationship that we want our students to have with Christ, but also as something as, as all of us believers really need to lock into. So if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like you to open it up, or your phone, or you can follow me on the screen. But we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, we have to do a little bit of digging this morning just to understand the context. So we're going to get some of the content so we can, uh, we're going to get the context so we can understand the content. But the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke. He was a doctor by trade. He was a Greek. He was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. He was not, a, he was not an apostle, but I believe he was a follower of Christ. And Luke writes a very unique gospel. As many scholars would tell us, that all four of the gospel writers wrote with a specific intention for a specific audience, and they paint, they each paint a unique picture of Christ. You can say this about Luke, that he was a Greek who wrote for Greeks. A few ways we know this is that he leaves out some significant Old Testament references that Matthew, Mark, and John all make. But he leaves them out because he believes more than likely that Gentiles wouldn't even care, they wouldn't care about it or they wouldn't understand it. 
He also changes wording around to appeal more to the Gentile audience. He uses the word skull instead of Golgotha. He uses the word lawyer instead of scribe. And when he's speaking of Jesus, he favors the term master over rabbi or teacher. But the crown of this gospel is this. And I believe it's found in Luke chapter 15, where we have the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and what we would come to know as the prodigal son. And then wrapped up in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he gives us the thesis of his writing, where he says that the Son of Man came, and you'll know this, came to seek and save the lost. Very good. Luke's gospel has a universality to it where he describes Jesus as the Messiah of all peoples. He emphasizes stories, his narratives lift up the disenfranchised, the poor, widows, orphan, women, children, the sick. It brings Gentiles to the center, and it shows them that when they make a decision to follow Christ, it's the best decision that they've ever made. All of Luke's narratives force us to wrestle with faith and make a decision about who Christ is. And when we do, it changes our very life. When we come to Luke chapter 10, Luke is in the middle of a discipling moment. Jesus is with his believers and his followers, and he's eating a meal with them. This is the story of Jesus in the home of Mary and Martha. And this is a moment where Jesus is eating with his disciples. He's speaking with them. He's teaching them. He's ministering to them. If I can just say it plainly, he's spending time with his most beloved people in the most intimate and precious of moments. So with that being said, let's dive into Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, it's interesting how Luke uses the, uses the language here. This is not Martha walking up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, hey, it'd be kind of nice if you would help me out with my sister and get her up and moving around. No, this is, this is Martha coming to Jesus and telling Jesus to tell Mary to get up and move around. It's very type A, if you ask me. But Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, more than likely, you've heard this story before. I've heard this story my whole life, and i got to be honest with you. I've always, given Mary, I've always given Martha the bad rap. She's the one that just doesn't get it. But as we'll see in this story, there are two sisters at play here. But the thing is, I believe that we see ourselves in both of them. They're in the home of Martha, which we know from the other Gospels was the village of Bethany. 1.5 miles east of Jerusalem, just beyond the Mount of Olives. This town was not only home to these two sisters, but it was also home to Lazarus, who was the brother, the one that Jesus raised from the dead. Now, in order to give us a little bit more of an understanding of this family, because it's a very rich text, I want us to take a look at the Gospel of John just a little bit as well. Because in John chapter 11, when we have the, the raising of Lazarus, when there's a group of people sent to Jesus in order to tell him that Lazarus is sick and you need to come, the language they use is pretty awesome. See, John the Beloved is writing this gospel. We know John is the one that Jesus loved, but when they, the, the group of people go to Jesus to tell him about Lazarus, they don't even say Lazarus' name. They just walk up to Jesus and say, Lord, the one you love is sick, which indicates to us that Jesus not only had a ministry relationship with his family, but they had a special relationship. Again, to put it plainly, Jesus loved these people deeply. 
And Martha? Martha was the workhorse of the family. She was the workhorse in ministry. No doubt she is one of the women that's mentioned through the scriptures that took care of Jesus' needs, that they fed him, they financed him, they housed him. No doubt they clothed him as well. In John chapter 12, when the, with the, the story of Mary anointing Jesus at Bethany, John makes the point to say that Martha was the one serving everybody. It was probably her ministry. And you know what? I love these people in ministry. You know, Martha always gets a bad rap in Luke chapter 10, but let's be honest, if there was no Marthas around, nothing would ever get done. And somewhere in this room, Keith Rogers just said amen. <laughs> Imagine her at work in this moment. She's cleaning, she's cooking, she's preparing her home, she's receiving the guests. The Bible is, is kind of indicating to us that she might be the oldest uh, child in this home, or, or she's, the, she's the oldest within the family, so much, so much of the burden of the home falls upon her, and to be honest with you, they need her, and the church needs her. We need our Marthas. But Mary, on the other hand, everyone likes Mary. Everyone does. She's the one that made the right choice. Her story is very sweet, and her love for Jesus is no doubt deep. Matthew and Mark both tell us that a woman was the one that anointed Jesus in Bethany to be, but John takes it a step further, and he tells us it was Mary. And if you would, please, just look with me in John chapter 12, just again, just to give us a little bit more of a context of what's happening in Luke 10. Let's look and read a little bit about this family a little bit more. So this is John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and it says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. At dinner, Jesus is the honored guest. I mean, to be honest with you, he just raised the man from the dead. The very least they could do is give him something to eat. <laughs> At the home of Simon the leper, probably a person who was healed by Jesus, Mary takes this expensive bottle of perfume, which scripture indicates to us that can cost anywhere from eight months to a year's worth of wages. And she anoints his feet and she wipes it with her hair. Now, this is heard of in the ancient world, but it is very uncommon and it is very rare. You don't see it very much. In fact, what you see in moments like this, when there's a dinner given in a home, what you would see is the owner of the home, the, the, the lady of the home, would take perfume, like nard or something else, and she would actually put it in her hair. And she would also give it to her servants, and they would place it in their hair, or the, the covering that was over their head would be, would be uh, uh, covered with the perfume, or even they would tie little pieces of cloth into their hair, and that would be saturated with the perfume. And these people would act like human glade plugins, and as they walk around the house, they're fragrancing the house. Because we have to imagine, in this moment in history, if you put a lot of people in a small room, the funk just begins to rise. <laughs> Let's be honest with it. So they would walk around and fragrance the house. And as the honored guests were sitting around the table, if they had need to, it was almost a hygienic thing that they did. I know it sounds weird and it sounds gross, but they would actually wipe their hands on the hair of the servants, not only to, or on the cloth that was there, but not only to clean it, but also to fragrance their hands. But what I find very interesting about Mary is that the reverse happens here. 
that Mary pours the perfume on his feet and she wipes his feet with her hair. Now we know that culturally speaking, for a Jewish woman to let out her hair in public was shameful. The hair was the glory. The hair represented her identity. But here we have Mary letting out her hair and placing her glory and her identity at the feet of Jesus. But one of the things I find so interesting about this passage is that she has just poured this perfume all over Jesus, and now she's wiping it so that the smell that was on Jesus' body would now be on her, a way for her to carry the aroma of Christ with her everywhere she went. She was in an act of identifying herself with Christ, that the smell was on him would now be on her. Mary's anointing was an act of worship. It was an act of identity. And like I said, we all love Mary. It's a great story. She's humbling herself. She's recognizing Christ. She's anointing him, as Jesus would tell us in in Matthew and Mark and John, that his body was being prepared for burial. She was recognizing him as the Messiah, as the coming king. And not only that, but she realized that she loved him. And she was dedicated to him. In the story of Luke chapter 10, as we read, we see that she sits at Jesus' feet again, going against the culture. We see Mary at his feet in the pose of a disciple. Women weren't discipled like this, but here we have Jesus, or here we have Mary right at the feet of Jesus. And she is absorbing everything that he has to say. But I find it interesting, if we begin reading through the text you'll find that Luke takes this beautiful picture in, in Luke 10, 38, 42, and he sandwiches it right in between a story of Jesus teaching the parable of the Good Samaritan and Jesus teaching the, the disciples how to pray. This portion of Luke was recorded for the disciples to learn how to keep their focus on Christ. Hear that again. Luke puts this story of Mary and Martha right in the middle of a disciple, discipleship passages in order for him to indicate to disciples, to teach them, to train them, in order to put their focus on Christ and never move it. Jesus, according to Luke, just told the story of how to be a good neighbor. And if Martha isn't practicing how to be a picture-perfect neighbor at this moment, I don't know what is. She's living out Jesus' teaching. I mean, think about this. She's serving 13 guys in her house, at least 13 guys in her house, Jesus, the 12 disciples, and anyone else that could cram in the door. That's what they did back then. If a teacher or a rabbi or an honored guest came to your home, people just shoved in because they wanted to hear the conversation. Think about this, church. She is serving Jesus. She is active in ministry. She is working for the Lord. But what we're seeing is a complete lack of focus. She was distracted by the work. And this is where I would say every single one of us share a piece with Martha. We can all go here. We can tell ourselves often that God has gifted me for this purpose or God has given me this opportunity or God has called me to do this and I'm doing it. God has given me this gift or this talent and I'm putting it to work. What else do I have to do to please the Lord? I'm doing it all for the Lord. But we can become so busy at doing what God wants, we can become so wrapped up into it that we're losing sight of who Jesus actually is. That's what the, that's what the text is telling us. You know, I don't often share this story because it's very personal to me. And if I can get through it, it'll be amazing. But I was nearly out of ministry before I even started. 
my sophomore year of college, my summer between my sophomore and junior year, and halfway through my junior year, I was a part-time youth pastor in a church in Center City, Philadelphia. But during that time, one of my friends, I went to the University of Fowley Forge right outside of Philadelphia in Phoenixville, and one of my friends was actually, being a, was actually a youth pastor a couple streets away from the college, and he needed help. And so he asked me to be an intern for him as well. So I said yes. So I'm balancing two youth groups. I was also heading up a ministry that would feed the, the homeless in Center City, Philly. We would actually go out every weekend, and we would go out at about 10, 11 o'clock at night, and we would just walk the streets of Philadelphia, and we would feed the homeless who were sleeping on the subway grates just to stay warm in the winter. And we would feed them, and we would bring them blankets, and we would share Christ with them. And we would have a church gather right in the middle of Broad Street of homeless people, and we would have service, and we would sing, and we would pray, and it was an amazing experience. But I was also involved in different theological discussion groups. I was working at Sherwin-Williams. I was working as a part-time painter. And I was in a small group as well. And I was working for the Lord. I was doing the very thing that I know that God had called me to do. But right around the middle of the first semester of my junior year, I was reading through these passages of Luke. And I was writing a sermon. And as I was sitting at my desk and I was reading the story and as I was Writing it out, I broke mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and I was done. You see, all the time I was working for the Lord, all the time I was working for the kingdom, I felt myself over that time being pulled farther and farther away from Christ. The more I did, the more I felt just completely alienated from him, and I broke, and I hit the floor in my dorm room, thank Thank the Lord that I was living in my own room at that point in time. But I broke, and I hit the floor, and I wept. And I must have been down there for a long time, but I believe that by God's divine providence, one of the guys from my small group was walking by my door, and he heard me. And I believe the Holy Spirit led him to open the door without knocking and see me there on the floor. And he knelt down and he asked what was going on. I was, I, I'm guessing I was freaking him out. But he knelt down and asked what was happening. And I started to share with him. And he said, hold on a second. And he opened up his phone. I mean, this was back in 2002. So it was like, flip, you know. That's <laughs> what we had. And he, and he made a phone call to our small group. And in a matter of a minute and a half, there were three other guys in my room. And they prayed for me. And I don't mean that they stood over me and that they prayed and they said a nice prayer. I mean, they went old school prayer and they got on the floor and they laid their hands on me and they prayed and they cried and they read scriptures with me and they encouraged me and they just loved me. And we were on that floor for about two hours straight. I know that might sound weird, but these guys went to bat for me. My small group loved me so much that they wouldn't leave me alone until everything was worked out. And after about two hours, I got up off that floor and I was changed. I felt the Holy Spirit in ways I'd never felt before. I felt refreshed. I felt blessed. I felt energetic for the first time in a long time. Yes, did I have to give some things up? Yes, I had to reprioritize. I had to refocus. I had to stop burning the candle on both ends. They made me in that room kind of shift them sing around. I had to say no to a couple of things, they helped me to do it, but what they did for me there was that they helped me reconnect to the Lord because when they left 
the room and I sat down and began reading the passages of scripture in Luke and I came to this moment of Mary and Martha. I heard the Lord say to me very clearly that this is the longest that you have sat at my feet in months. And that shocked me. Jesus was trying to tell Mary, trying to tell Martha, put down the dishes, forget the food. I'm here for one night. I know I'm an honored guest, but forget the preparations, forget everything else. Martha, just sit. And you know, when I, when I imagine this story, when I begin thinking about it, I can't help but think that Martha had a seat right next to Mary at Jesus' feet, but I'm guessing she was too busy to even notice it. Or maybe she was upset about the many things to even think that she could even get there. We get so busy in life that, man, we just don't even think we can spend time with God. Jesus said that Mary had chosen what was better and it wouldn't be taken from her. I take that part to heart because I realize, I know that I'm not young, but I'm not older. But I've lived long enough to know that things can be taken from you. Things that you would never expect. School, sports, work, relationships. We can lose it. But what we can never lose is what we gain at his feet. What did Mary get at his feet? To me, when I read this story, she gets the presence of the Lord. She gets revelation that was life-changing. She gets a relationship that gave meaning and gave purpose she gets a relationship that, that was the blood that gave life to everything else in her life. I heard a great pastor one time named Waylon Sears say this, you must surrender to get at the feet of Jesus. Being at his feet is spiritual, so every manner of your flesh will fight it and look for a reason to avoid it. Graduates, you will have tests, you will have papers, you will have practice, games, a job, relationships, a social life, varying responsibilities. But when you grasp the importance of developing a life that is continually surrendered to and surrounded by the presence of God, it transforms everything. And it is the most precious thing that we have. Like the aroma that filled the room when Mary broke that jar, so the aroma of Christ is always with us. Imagine, graduates, that as you sit at his feet and you take in everything that the Lord has for you, when you raise up and you go from that place, you take him with you. You take him to your dorm room. You take him to your class, your locker room, your internship, your job. You take him in your travels. He goes with you and transforms everything, and he keeps you focused on what truly is important. Because all the stuff that's urgent, we can lose that. We can lose it. Adults, imagine this. City Church, imagine that your home is a place where the peace and presence of God dwells because you take the time to get at his feet. There's been many times in my own home where a little peace would have gone a long way. 
But unless I'm giving the Lord that time, it just kind of stretches. This is the relationship that we need. This is what we can never afford to lose. So graduates, my message to you today is always surrender to get at his feet. Remember to slow down. Sit at the feet of Jesus and take him in. Maybe it's been a long time since you in this room have sat at his feet. Maybe it's been a long time before that you've heard the Lord actually speak to you. I know that might sound weird. But it is so vital in us and what this passage is telling us as disciples of Christ is that we have to stay focused on what truly matters because everything else can be lost. Christ is the constant. He's the one that gives us our life. And not only that, but a relationship with Christ is the greatest thing that you will ever have. It's the most precious gift that we have. And when you dig into it, when you walk it, year after year, day after day, however you wish to look at it, but man, when you walk in that relationship with Jesus, I promise you, it just gets sweeter. Take the time to sit at his feet. Will you stand with me this morning as we start coming to the close and as we're going to spend some time in worship? Again, let me say that maybe it's been a long time that you went without sitting at his feet. And before we head out for cupcakes and for donuts and for drinks and to hang out with our graduates. Take a few minutes this morning to worship and to sit at his feet. And I wanna encourage you today to surrender. Surrender to him and spend these next few moments with Jesus. Graduates, we love you so much. And just remember that if you ever lose focus or this world beats you up, this is your home, and it always will be. And we'll be here to get on the floor with you if you need us to, and to pray with you, and to walk with you, so that your focus is back on him. We love you so much. Congratulations, City Church. That's where I'll leave you this morning.
offering as we conclude our service together. As Pastor Scott mentioned, immediately following the service, all of our seniors will be out to the left side of the foyer. We encourage you to stop by there, give them a high five, congratulate them. They've also got some food there. There's also a photo booth. So if you're here as a family and you would like to step in there, you could take the time for that as well. So, thank you so much for being here at City this morning. And I'm going to conclude with a brief blessing. So, may the Lord keep you. Lord, may the Lord go with you. May He cause His face to shine upon you. In a world of trouble and struggle, may He give you His peace. And we pray these things now in Christ's name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can stay and worship if you would like. Amen. You need prayer too. There's going to be some folks up here. Don't let this moment pass you by. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy 
Show me. 
thank you for your love. Lord, we want more of you. I pray that you would draw us closer to your heart, God, that you would reveal your heart to us, that we would be able to see you, to be able to see and feel your love for us, God, that you would just draw us closer. Lord, that your love for us would, would spill out, that others would be able to see it. light would shine before men. Lord, I pray again for the, the graduates that you, your anointing would be on them. For Gracie, that's still here, Lord, I pray that you would just be with them. Lord, that they would be able to be a light for you wherever they go. And Lord, that we would be able to, to do the same. We would walk in the fullness of your love, God. We exalt you. We thank you so much for this time.